0: This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio and you are listening to Men In Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable!
1: From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, on a slightly overcast morning... In the crap part of West Hollywood, Rog. It's the Men in Business
0: podcast. Do I sound any different to you now, David? Now I'm American. Yeah, you do, Rog. You sound really different. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, last Friday, after decades of what I consider wandering in the desert, I did become. After promising last World Cup I would if America got out of the group stage, I became an American. And I want to say on Saturday morning, my younger son Oz, who's seven, he was so disappointed that I didn't get out of bed and immediately start talking like James Earl Jones.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Rog, film stars don't die in Liverpool, but (laughs) sometimes podcast stars are born in Liverpool. I love it. Congratulations, Rog, on your citizenship.
0: Oh, mate, I'm a very awful person, a dark person, a unpleasant person. I've got to say, it was honestly one of the most meaningful, moving, most remarkable days of my life. I've tweeted a lot about it, you can see on my Twitter feed what it meant to me to become American and why. My family story, my kosher butcher, great-grandfather who left Lithuania to head to the hog capital of the world, Chicago, and got off the boat when it stopped in Liverpool to refuel, thinking he was in New York City. The joke in, in the Liverpool Jewish community, Davo, is that we're all descendants of the low-IQ individuals who like get to Liverpool and are like, New York, we made it! But you've been to Liverpool, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, it considers itself to be the 51st state of America because the port historically traded with America, like the whole of America. Rock and roll just spilled out of the port of Liverpool. It's why the Beatles came from Liverpool. City always feels emotionally connected to America, and it was the fulfilment of my youth. spent dreaming about Huggy Bear from Starsky & Hutch and Hervé Villachese and Jim McMahon. I just ate for America. So I want to thank you all, GFOPs, for your well wishes. The question many of you have asked is, and Davo, please weigh in, what has changed about my identity now I'm actually American? Have I changed fundamentally to you?
1: What, you mean since Friday? Yeah, do you
0: see me differently now? I mean, I can vote, obviously, and I get through passport control a little bit quicker. But, like, fundamentally, do I feel more American? Do you look at me differently, American Rodge?
1: Look, here's the irony of this is I still feel very British and yet I have a much more American personality than you. I'm positive. <laughs> I couldn't work in Britain. I love working with Americans. It's just is like I love... Everything. I, I am the frontier thesis, Rog, embodied in a human. Oh, you are. You are sort of the most English in terms of your darkness, your depression, your negativity, your cynicism. Oh, I love those. Very, love those are very un American qualities. And yet you love America so much, and yet you have none of the qualities of an American. So believe me, I'm really hoping that now you've taken this passport. I'm really hoping it is going to affect your personality. You're <laughs> going to become more American. Fingers crossed. I'm hoping something works. What I'm worried about, Rog, this yeah. is my question. Have you kept your British passport?
0: I've got 27 different passports, mate. I'm always ready for the darkness to descend, for borders I to have don't... to be crossed, for families to be saved, for attics to be
1: entered. Yeah, loads of passports. Why? No, I know you don't have 26. I know you still have your British passport. I think you've got to go all the way, Rog, because there is a part of this ceremony what you can do is you can renounce the crown. I you did. can renounce any other leader. I did. I, re- I did it.
0: I, I renounced the crown and the other states and the other leaders. I ripped open my shirt and rent
1: it, set no, it on fire. Within, within that, you set on fire to your British passport. and you go and do it. It's a, it's a private secret society ceremony. I think you've got to go full hog. And I think at this point to say I'm an American, Give up your British passport, Rog. I am Give it American.
0: Up. And you know how American I am. I'm actually the latest sleeper cell for Moscow. First rule of sleeper cells, don't tell anyone you're a sleeper cell, unless
1: it's a double bluff. Just don't be a wimpy dual national. Do I'm one not. thing for me. Give up your British passport. Go <sighs> full hog, Rog. Go all the way. I uh,
0: would, you know, but it my dad. It's the first thing he said when he okay. called me up to congratulate me. He said, you do still have your uh, United Kingdom passport there. Here's what how I've come to understand what happened to me in terms of, on Friday, the change. I've been told by many GFOPs that like a person of one sex who feels that they're actually trapped as the other sex on the inside. But I've come to believe I was always an American trapped inside an Englishman's body. And now I'm my real me. Uh, And to me, the one thing that has changed, and this is very interesting psychologically, is that I have a sense of common destiny. I've always had it in a footballing sense. You know, my future is always connected to the US men's and thank God, women's soccer teams. But I've got this common history now and a common sense of destiny. My future is that of Alaska, it is that of Iowa, New Hampshire, every one of the states, and Puerto Rico. To all the GFOPs in Puerto Rico, my God, I love you. And Uh I want to work right now. I'm trying to think about how can I work for the greater good and find a way to contribute in a meaningful fashion. That is my next step. I will say, to be sworn in, Davo, as I was, as one of 162 new Americans sworn in from 47 countries around the world in the courthouse. It was amazing. People of every age, religion, race, background, all of us together becoming American. Something that I'm imagining many of the people I shared the ceremony with had, like, dragged themselves across huge, huge landmasses, probably war-torn. My pathway, arriving in Chicago, knowing no one and just you know, taking three jobs and grinding it out was nothing compared to what other people in the security line had gone through to become American. It was unlike any other room I've ever been in. It was Emma Lazarus made real. God bless America. And I just want to finish by reading these lines from the New Colossus. Keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she, with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest toss to me. I'll lift my lamp beside the golden door. Oh, God bless America.
1: Oh, there's nothing I'm looking forward to more, Rog, than you becoming a bit more American. I'm applying for Texas citizenship next, (laughs) David. I can't wait for it. Uh, Okay, Rog, lots going on in the world of Men in Blazers.
0: Oh, Men in Blazers housekeeping. We should have a sting for this.
1: Da-da-da,
0: yeah. Our book. Yeah, we've talked about it enough. We're going to deal with it quickly in this podcast. Encyclopedia. We're going to deal with it quickly in this podcast. Encyclopedia Blazer Tanaka. Keep sending us photos of you buying that book for your soccer curious friends before the World Cup. I will say this. It makes the perfect the perfect Father's Day gift because the way. We think about it, dads. Really, we're like mums, but crap, and less useful. And I think I do think Encyclopedia Tanica is the perfect participation trophy for every American father ahead of this World Cup. Send us photos of you and your dads with our book. An idea that was triggered by GFOP at Diane Danielson, who made me so happy last night when she tweeted, "My 80-year-old mum, my 80-year-old mum Davo, just brought." Blazer Tanaka for my dad for Father's Day. I still have no idea how the hell she knew about it.
1: I've been traveling all over. You know, you and I—we went to Scotland, oh, Scotland, uh, and then went to London, went to New York, went to Nashville. I've been so many airports, Rod, and I see Encyclopedia Blazer Tanaka everywhere I go. I just can't get away from it's it. It's hilarious.
0: It is hilarious. God, I forgot we we're in Scotland. That feels like... It was years ago. We'll be on CBS Sunday morning, I should say this. CBS Bloody Sunday morning. It does not get more American than that. This Sunday, the 10th. Jim Axelrod is going to sully his career by mingling with our crap. A wonderful, wonderful gentleman. Big hello to producer of that segment, John Goodwin, who's a huge Arsenal fan and who made this segment, even whilst mourning, the passing of Arsene Wenger. That
1: is dedication. Rog, now that you're American, you've launched a new 12-part podcast, American Fiasco, in partnership with WMYC Studios. A journey into the US men's national team's march of folly from the giddy heights of 1994 to the humiliation of 1998, when, with the whole nation watching, the team lost to Iran. The first six parts launched yesterday. It is currently number six on the iTunes podcast charts. And I have to say, you told me it's a rollicking story like Apocalypse Now meets Scarface. It is really beautifully done, Rog. Well done. Almost optimal. Oh,
0: thanks, David. I've always been fascinated by 1998. Just when the nation was warming to soccer after the 94 World Cup, the team crapped the bed and the players burnt down US soccer while the whole nation was watching. Stories really about soccer in the same way Animal Farm is just about horses and piggies. So please give it a listen and share it. Share it with your sports-loving friends. Please spread the word with podcasts. Discovery is the enemy. Getting word out is the hardest bloody thing in the world. So please spread the word about American Fiasco. Rate it. Oh my God, can you believe? On iTunes, rating a podcast and writing a review. Writing a review is harder than making a podcast. Those two things help incredibly, incredibly. The first episode, I should say, I should warn you, it features a long interview with my father, me and my father, Judge I for Bennett, in interview, much of episode one, at Stu Hutch, amongst many GFOPs who wrote in to say, just listen to the first episode of American Fiasco, now campaigning for Men In Blazers to dump Roger Bennett and replace him with Judge Ivor as an upgrade. I'll just say, it's what you have editors for, to make, to make people, to make, you know what, I'm going to be a nice guy, I'm going to say I concur. But America, Davo and I are headed for you, talking about travelling, O. We leave for our Men In Blazers Across America tour. On the 14th, same day as the World Cup starts, we're headed to St. Louis to play live with Josh Sargent. The future, future, future. Then we head to Seattle. Oh, some standing room tickets available there at meninblazers.com. Portland, Father's Day in Portland with Timber Joey. And I think Merritt Paulson, come be with us, Portland. And then San Francisco, which actually sold out in a second. That is a true soccer city. And we'll be on stage, I believe, with great friend of the pod, Billy Bean. Then back to Philly, Boston, sold out already. Brooklyn, oh, come be with us, GFOPs. Keep your food recommendations flooding in. We're looking, J-Dubs and I, for post-show local delicacies that are good after a night spent drinking responsibly. And while we're at it, happy birthday to GFOP Tony Award-winning Men in Blazers on the Road theatre producer, John Johnson.
1: We never take it for granted that we get to work with a, a Tony Award winner, right, Davey? He's a phenomenal producer. Can't believe he lowers himself uh, to produce our crap, Rog.
0: Now, go and win all the Emmys, uh, Tonys, Oscars, whatever they're called in that the theatre. Well, we wouldn't
1: know. Yeah, BAFTAs. We've got a pack show, Rog. This is a World Cup preview pod in which we take a look at our five big questions ahead of the tournament. And in true Men in Blazers football fashion, we actually ask six questions. To the football, Rog. <sighs>
0: I've got my Bud, not just any Bud, but a bottle of Freedom Reserve, a special edition lager, a red lager, inspired by George Washington's original recipe. It's from the 1700s, a crap you not, which Bud have re-released to raise money for Folds of Honour, a non-profit that provides scholarships to families of fallen or wounded soldiers. It tastes great. It does great. I'm going to raise my bottle of Freedom Reserve to Marco Silva, Davo, Everton's new manager, Marco Silva. To new beginnings for all of us. A new regime at Everton Football Club. New chief exec, new director of football, new manager, new stadium coming. We're a bit like Italy in terms of the lifespan of our governing bodies. i say Marco Silva, he has not spent more than a year at any one of his past four clubs, Watford, Hull, Olympiakos, Sporting Lisbon. He is, in J-Dub's words, always swiping right. Yeah, he's a bit of a philandering lover. I just hope, I know he listens to this podcast, Please fumigate the manager's office. I mean, can you imagine having to walk into the manager's personal toilet after Big Sam has just vacated the premises? But above all, I hope he can work with new director of football, Marcel Brands, resummon Everton's identity, in which the sum is greater than the individual and they always have a gunslinger's chance. So let's raise this beer, Bud Fam, Blood Fam, to dreams as a football fan, because without dreams, without hope, there's no reason to live.
1: Here we go. It's our five big questions, maybe six, ahead of the World Cup. At the time of recording, we're just nine days from kickoff in Mother Russia. <sighs>
0: yeah, they are gifts from God's A World Cup. We should say that. They're like air, water, fire, pie and beer. They're essentials. They form the spine of my life. If someone says we met in 1999, i just loop back to 1998 to locate myself and remember where I was in life. Let me ask you this. What percentage of Americans do you believe actually know right now the US haven't qualified for the World Cup?
1: Well, I think you've got to first of all take the percentage of Americans that know there's a World Cup coming, <laughs> which is probably not more than Rob Stone four, and Alexi. One in four, one in five. And of those, therefore, 20 to 25% of adult Americans who know it's coming, I would say probably a good <sighs> half of them don't know. So I'd say. That's only 10% of Americans know that America aren't in the World Cup. The other 90% either don't know that or they don't know there's a World Cup.
0: Just wait till they hear there's no NITs. But you've got a very good point about England and their failure to qualify in our youth, Dave. 1978 and 1994
1: for me, which turned out to be the best World Cups of our childhood. These were the greatest World Cups. It's more fun to watch a World Cup when you're not nervous about your own team. And actually (laughs) you have a less skewed view of a World Cup when your team aren't in it. Because you actually watch the football, you analyse the football, you can enjoy it on a completely different level.
0: There's no sporting sword of Damocles, the doom of your own nation, the impending doom hanging over your head. So let us dive in. Let's tackle the big questions that we've received over Twitter from hundreds of GFOPs and try and Talk about what has got us tingling ahead of Rogue State
1: 2018. Question the first, Rog. How did Leroy Sané not make the German team? The dime-dropping, goal-scoring, speedy, speedy winger was left off the Mannschaft's final 23 by Jürgen Löb, despite a phenomenal season at Manchester City.
0: I mean, Germany, context. Reigning champions, as they say it,
1: Weltmeister!
0: They are yeah. so ruthlessly consistent. What is astonishing about this squad, it seems even stronger than it was when they won the whole cheesecake last time in Brazil. I mean, oh, you think of Tony Cruz, You think of Joshua Kimik, You're thinking potent, coiled muscle. And the announcement, if you didn't read about it yesterday, dear GFOP of Germany's 23-man squad contained one stunning omission. Yeah, Leroy Sané, the PFA, Young Player of the Year in England, Manchester City, key cog in the championship of championships. Number one And almost every journalist already filed story about the breakout young stars of the World Cup to be the James Rodriguez of 2018, not in the German 23.
1: How do you understand it? Number one, Germany are bloody good. (laughs) <laughs> so, so, could you imagine if Leroy Sane was English or American, how quickly he would be like on the team sheet, number one on the team, probably? Yeah. Uh, Gun of the world. Where do Cup. you want to play Leroy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who else do you want to come with you? <laughs> it puts into context just how good Germany are and how many choices they have. Having said that, I am surprised that he's still not there. It seems like there's something else going on, maybe. Like perhaps he's not everyone's favourite in the dressing room. Perhaps Jurgi favours players who play in Germany that he sees week in, week out, that he knows all of their coaches. He's in constant communication with everyone around them. This does happen sometimes when players play abroad.
0: It is your point that you always make. We do not live in that locker room. We do not see what goes on other than the 90 minutes on the field. And to me, Leroy Sané is kind of, kind of how you say Landon Donovan in German, and I don't mean to equate the two players. Leroy is a Premier League title winner. He's a world-class star. His future's ahead of him. Landon, 2014 Landon was an American legend, an American legend on the downside of his career. But your point is always World Cup squads are about picking the 23 best players and at the same time about picking the collective that fits together the best,
1: which are two different things, right? Well, I've been quite struck. I mean, I don't know that it's going to ultimately make any difference, but all of the pictures out of the England camp, we've never seen this before, where these guys like each other and they seem to get along. That sort of harmony through a long tournament, the long build-up, the hours of waiting, staying in not great hotels, like, it's kind of a difficult life. That team harmony through the World Cup is very, very important.
0: It is. I mean, I, I made the film of the US team behind the scenes, of hard knocks ahead of the last World Cup, so I witnessed Landon up close. And for Jürgen... Jürgen knew, Jürgen Klinsmann knew he was not going to start Landon. And he knew that Landon carried so much weight, so much influence within that squad, within that locker room. And that a Landon on the bench, if they lost the first game, the Ghanaian game, could have been a massive distraction. Within the media, the drumbeat would be, play Landon, play Landon, play Landon. So he, as manager, would have lost control of his team. So he didn't take Landon for political and locker room cultural reasons. And in the same way, We know that Sané is a destroyer with City. We've seen it. Raphael Honigstein, the great German writer based in London, he wrote, Jürgen Love is a pragmatist who wants players who perform for him and who fit into his team both tactically and socially. I underline and socially. Sané has not performed in the same way in a German jersey he has for City. He's seen as an incredibly petulant character in the German locker room, a bit like sand in your swim shorts. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't go... I mean, it's a bold gambit, one which will be used to beat love if the German title defence flounders. I only wish Sané had an American dad. I would have helped him make that one-time switch quicker than you can click your fingers and say Timothy Chandler. Uh,
1: I I think it's too late. I think he's already (laughs) represented Germany uh, at the senior level, Rog. Uh, Okay. question the second. Should we pray for Lionel Messi, a man who, as Biggie Smalls would say, is the illest? But he's also constantly at odds with the baying Argentine press. Brilliant article in the Financial Times this weekend. By about. Simon Kuiper? Yeah.
0: Oh, he's the greatest. Simon Kuiper, the GOAT writer. Lionel Messi, to me, undoubtedly, the GOAT player. God love him. To me, he's the best player the game has ever seen. One who is beloved around the world. Bizarrely, in his own country, which he left in his early teens, and despite the glory that he catalyzed in Barcelona, he's viewed with a dose of suspicion by his own fans nationally. They used to see him as El Catalan, the foreigner, because he moved so young and he's never truly turned it on in the blue and white jersey. Last three tournaments have ended with heartbreaking losses. Oh, my God, tears in finals. Is it going to be any different this time round, David? Because to me, Argentina and Lionel Messi, it's like watching LeBron and Cleveland, despite the fact that they got Kunaguero, Aguero, Higuain, Di Maria when those guys play for Argentina they all turn into Kevin Love.
1: I mean the problem is is that for Argentina there's only one acceptable result for the press that will have them believe that Messi is a great Argentinian player and that's to win the World Cup. No South American team has ever won a World Cup in Europe. fact, only one European team has ever won in South America and that was Germany last time and Messi has pretty much got to take the team on his back to go and do it and it's just going to be very hard. The World Cup is too random. It's too random to expect it to happen. Messi could have an amazing, a spectacular <sighs> World Cup and still not win it.
0: And it is funny, you're talking about watching the messages that the teams are trying to send out of their training session photo shoots. The Argentinian photo shoots are all like Messi lifting huge weights, Messi jumping huge heights, Messi just like carrying an enormous amount. I I expect to see photos of Messi punching cow carcasses in a Philadelphia meat locker. So he wants it. He wants to communicate to us that he wants it. He's going to turn 31 while he's in rogue state Russia. He's in great shape. He's in great form. Yet, Argentina watching them play, they still have no real tactical plan or style of play. I mean, this is clearly going to be GOAT versus the world as it was for Maradona in 1986. All we have to hope for Lionel Messi... Is that the supporting
1: cast don't Jr Smith it? Look, Argentina losing finalists last time. We will have to see. This is such a wide open World Cup, Rog. So hard to predict anything at this point.
0: Can I just say while well, I mentioned Jr Smith, watching him in game two, have to come back while the crowd chanted MVP in Golden State was psychologically as upsetting as if Loris Karius had to keep goal against Real Madrid again two days after the Champions League final. Sports. You can be so cruel. OK,
1: question the third. Does talent translate to any sort of glory for Belgium and France? Both of these teams loaded with global footballing icons. But you can see winning the whole bloody thing when you add up the sum of the parts, Rog. But at the same time, when you look at the way they all combine together, they could also exit incredibly early doors.
0: Yeah, the two fascinating tests of international football, these teams. It's important to note about international football It is so much lesser than club football, so much lesser tactically and in terms of personnel at the highest levels, where with their clubs, the players train day in, day out for months. They have a true familiarity and tactical cohesion. And if you're in a club team and you need a new right back, you go out and you buy a new right back, or if you're Pep, three of them. But international teams, they're like Pro Bowl teams or NBA All-Star teams. They're kind of flung together quickly, and then they find themselves out on the field. And if they have a weakness position, they... I mean, not to to go too Donny Rumsfeld on you. You go to war with the army you have, not the army you might want or wish to have at a later time. I look at these Belgium and France sides, Daveo. Talent, so. murderous rows of talent. I mean, Belgium, they're like a Premier League foot team on EA Sports Made Real. France, Griezmann, Mbappe, Thomas Lamar, Dembele. God, but you look at who's managing them. Our mates, Roberto Martinez, Catalan, odd choice for Belgium. And the conservative Didier Deschamps, odd choice for a French team, a conservative man who's got a squad that's just overflowing with social media personality.
1: Neither team seems to have an idea, Davo, an idea of how they want to play. All the pressure on Pogba after another very, very poor performance in a (sighs) France shirt in a pre-World Cup friendly. It's not starting well. He got booed off, Pogba, at home by
0: French fans on Friday night, a symbol that France still very much shuffling the cards and need to find the goals and assists on the field to match the likes
1: and faves on social media. Off it. Okay, question the fourth: How will England do? Are the babies' onesies made of chainmail again, or will this side's lack of international experience actually be a big advantage?
0: Dave, I've got to name-check your feelings here because there is—I'll be honest—so much to like, so much, and I don't see this often about this England side. It's young. We're playing the babies. We've got Spitfire squadron leader Harry Kane captaining the charge. God, he's rising to the armband. What is it? Like six goals in five games as captain. Yeah, we've got a backline that's about as good at defending as as Rudy Giuliani, really. But how are you feeling? That's the only question that's important to me.
1: Well, I'll give you the positive and I'll give you the negative. The positive about this team is I actually do think they have a playing style. I think Gareth Southgate, hats off to you. He's figured a way to build a playing style around a team who don't have a playmaker. Like, let's just say England do not have a playmaker. But what he's got instead is he's got 11 players who can really play football. And that sounds like, well, that's obvious. Every team should have 11 players that play football. England have not had 11 players who can play football. You've got a goalkeeper who can start it from the back and your boy, Jordan Pickford. You've got centre-backs who can play with the ball at their feet. You've got wide players like Young and Trippier and Danny Rose who can, you know, get forward and cross the ball into the box for proven goal-scoring strikers, Harry Kane, Jamie Vardy. And then you've got these between-the-lines players, Dele Alli, Jesse Lingard, who interconnect. So England are playing this incisive, quick-passing. Everybody can be involved in the creation game without a playmaker. And it's a style. And in the first half, in their first World Cup warm-up game against Nigeria, who are a pretty good team, they played very, very well. However... Second half, the second that this team got a little bit into them, got a little bit up them, <laughs> came at them a little hard, you just felt the weight of the jersey, the chainmail onesies starting to reveal themselves. And ultimately, England held on and won 2-1. But England's best player by a mile in that game was Gary Cahill. And hats off, Gary Cahill played very well. But if your best player is Gary Cahill <laughs> in and I love him. He's a solid centre-back. Was, it was the right choice for Gareth to call him up. But you're not going to go that far in a World Cup. I do see this team getting out of the group. I do see them making the last 16 or the quarterfinals. And I think a lot of people then say, oh, it's only one game. And I don't think people will want to play this England team. And I think that's something different than we've seen in the last few years. But you just look at a German squad. You just look at the players on France and Belgium. You look at Argentina. You just... It's very hard to see this team going too
0: far. What worries me, Dave, is that the self-sabotage of the media has already begun. And Raheem Sterling had an assault rifle tattooed on his leg. His decision, he says, in honour of his dad, who was gunned down in Kingston, Jamaica, when he was a two-year-old. Anyway, the photos of that tattoo have been all over the English tabloid press that led to, ridiculously, calls for him to be dropped from the World Cup squad. I mean, it's the latest in a just endless, really awful character assassination by the tabloids who really target Raheem, try and paint him as a brash young man. And his tattoo choices, where he shops, what he eats for breakfast. I mean, he showed up late then from vacation for England training, which was a misjudgment. But if to be candid, if I'd been hounded and targeted by the English press, I'd probably avoid going to the place where, you know, they'd hound me and target me some more. Footballers are people too. And even though they're paid more than a week than we earn in a year, it doesn't give the tabloid media the right to kind of carte blanche, just destroy them. What I don't understand about this English thing, Davo, is why can't we just enjoy anything? Why do we have to destroy everything?
1: Well, this is half of the tabloid media, Rog, and there's another half of the tabloid media defending him and going the other way, and certainly the broadsheets and the quality papers sort of, uh, don't enjoy this at all. I actually think there's another thing going on here, and I spoke to somebody who's a former sports writer at one of these tabloids who said, here's the problem, this is why Raheem's getting it, and I'm sure there are people who are motivated who've never liked him, who don't like, you know, what he stands for, but there's very little else to write about this England team. There's not really any other scandal. You think about the scandals that have besieged England before previous World Cups, selection, concerns, alcohol-fueled nights out, manager being sort of attacked by the press... There is something so harmonious about this England camp and something so stable about everybody involved right now that the only thing for the press to write about it's. Amazing. We were there last week in Britain, and yeah. you'd open the paper, and there was nothing in the paper about the England team going to the World so you've Cup. You've got to
0: vent. The bile's got to come out somehow. Yeah. That, that's a great theory.
1: It's got to, it's got to it's hate. If if
0: we don't hate on somebody, we have got to hate yeah. on ourselves. It can't be hate on ourselves. We already hate ourselves, David. That is a that is a good working theory. All I'm saying, England, I know you're listening. The entire English nation, look after Jordan Pickford. Just came back. See, he's done nothing. He's an innocent.
1: Get back safe. He might be getting back safe to Munich, Rog. By the way, I was very impressed with him in that England friendly. Note. His distribution. He can, play, he can play with the ball at his feet, that boy. He's Everton. I mean, he's proper he's, Everton. He's too tiny to be an international goalkeeper <laughs> because it's so cute. He like sort of jumps in the air and dives all the way and he's made it about three yards you know, away from the centre of, uh, of the goalpost. He does, okay. always, he
0: does always look like he's just wandered into goal like a kid on an under-7 team and looked at his dad and been like, but the goals are so uh, big.
1: He takes these massive <laughs> dives and he flies through the air and he goes about three yards because he's so <laughs> tiny. It's almost like a miniature human playing in golf. Okay, question five, Rog. Will your other homeland, I thought you are American, of Iceland replicate their Euro 2016 Cinderella run or will their second series... Go all true detective season two.
0: David, I'm, I'm cheering for two things at this World Cup without America in it. I'm cheering for the Nigerian jersey. God, I love that team. They're like a can of fresca shaken up and then ripped open. I'm also rooting for my guys. Another passport like Harry, Iceland, who are like the strokes in the record studio, facing up to that difficult second album and praying that they don't room on fire it. I'll say the way they qualified Iceland, winning a difficult group, makes me feel that they are no one-hit novelty wonder. A bit like Kung Fu fighting. I've spent a bunch of time with Heymir Hamilgrisson going into this World Cup. And I think about Iceland, I think about this. He is a remarkable manager. I'd love him to be the next US manager. He'd actually like to be the next US manager, I think. And I do think the US could learn a lot from Iceland in a way no one's talking about. He came through as one of two managers, co-managers at the beginning. They had a Heimir who understands the Icelandic players' distinct mentality and what they need to be brought together within that locker room. And they had Lars Lagerbeck, the kind of taciturn Swedish tactical master who knows what it takes to perform at the highest levels. I think that's what the US needs to thrive. Two managers, co-managers, best of both worlds, one that understands the American mentality, one that understands what it takes to excel globally. <sighs> but to be Hamir Hamilkerson, this is what I think about at this World Cup. 12 years ago, was just a dentist coaching an under-12 side. How many of you listeners are dentists right now, coaching your kids, accountants, whatever you're doing, coaching kids? He is now about to march out and live our dreams, Davo. He's going to lead his nation out to play against Lionel Messi. They will have no fear, the Icelanders, that's what I know. But when I think of Hamir's career and his life experience, I think of a man that is to live a life.
1: Okay, Rog, here's the bonus question number six, and obviously the most significant and yet also ridiculous, unanswerable question of the lot. Who is gonna win the whole bloody thing? America. Always America.
0: Who do you think, Dave? I'm gonna think again, well, you guess again.
1: Look, my logic tells me it's gonna be a European team, we're gonna win it in Europe. I don't think the host nation are good enough. I can't see Germany doing it again. Two in a row, very hard to repeat in the World Cup. I just don't see Germany doing it. So with no Holland, with no Italy, England not ready. Denmark, I like them as an outside bet. But I think it's going to be one of France or Belgium will step up. And I think it's going to be France or Belgium to win the World (sighs) Cup.
0: Dave, to me, it's one of three. Germany, Spain, Brazil, who are all the more human for being wounded and humiliated. In 2014, all the more focused. But another team that were humiliated in 2014, Spain. We watched them destroy all comers between 2008-2012, and then have an arrogance and a complacency take over their locker room in 2014. They will not make that mistake again. World Cup winning squads, they are about balance. I look at that lineup, the mix of veteran calm, the knowledge of what it takes to win a World Cup, which is the oddest. You said it earlier, kind of a super marathon of Just repeat 90-minute crucible pressure followed by incredible boredom. Incredible boredom in between for 32 days. So you need the experience, but they have the hunger of youth. I look at Real Madrid's Asensio and Isco, and I believe we'll be talking about one of them as a world beater come July 14th. That opening game against Portugal, Spain-Portugal, Friday, June 15th, is just a stunning orgy of Iberian wonder. I do wish someone had invented Smell-O-Vision. I often wish someone had invented smell vision but that Dracon Noir would just waft out of my smell vision set all the way from Sochi when Ronaldo scores that late equaliser, rips off his jersey, gives the world what it wants from a World Cup.
1: His nipples, pert, in their moment of glory. I can't wait, David. We've talked about all of these teams and several more at length in a series of videos that we've shot for Sony Crackle, Rog. Rog and Davo's Guide to Russia will be out via Sony Crackle beginning next Monday, June 11th. There are 10 episodes in all. They're scheduled to release next Monday through next Wednesday. Stay tuned to our social and meninblazers.com for more.
0: Oh, they're fantastic. You look so handsome in a Russian hat. I have never looked more Jewish than donning a Cossack's garb. One other big World Cup note that we should hit on. June 13th, the announcement of who will host the 2026 World Cup will be made by FIFA and Vladimir Putin live on television is a huge decision. It'll either be the U S Canada and Mexico in a joint bid or Morocco. If the U S Canada, Mexico win, it will be the biggest thing to happen to U S soccer since well, anything ever. I mean, it will be fundamentally game changing, but you have to remember the people voting are the ones who chose Russia and then bloody Qatar as the next two hosts. So, the US, God love them. They keep saying, we're tournament ready. You can play soccer at Cowboys Stadium with a biggest scoreboard in the... Morocco, fundamentally ill-equipped to host a World Cup, according to FIFA's own survey. And when I read that, I just fear for the US because our continuing naivete is to believe FIFA are looking for a country that's littered with state-of-the-art stadia. We keep saying, we're World Cup ready now. FIFA are thirsty for the opposite. Nothing triggers kickbacks, bribery and general venal behaviour than an ill-equipped nation having to build a dozen new enormous white elephant stadia. I hope I'm wrong. More than ever, I hope I'm wrong. But brace yourself,
1: America. You've got to be more positive than that. You're American now. Uh, Okay. (laughs) It's now time, Rog, for our new pod segment, our Meister of the Day, in which we put an exclamation point on this pod by taking a shot of Jägermeister and toasting someone, something, or somewhere in the football world that brought us joy.
0: Oh, the Jägermeister, the human emotional exclamation point in a bottle. Oh, I'm going to raise it to the moment of the week. I am going to return to Friday. When I became an American, amongst the many lovely well-wishers was this one from New York Times soccer pioneer Andrew Dass, who tweeted me, Congrats, Rog, you complete your one-time switch to the United States today. I tweeted back, I've been an American for five hours. No word from U.S. manager Dave Saracan, WTF, to which within an hour, U.S. manager Dave Saracan himself tweeted, congratulations, Roger Bennett. Myself and everyone at U.S. Soccer are thrilled that you're officially eligible. I was hoping this would all happen before the friendly games this week. By the way, watch your best position. So I want to raise this Jägermeister to you, Dave Sarakam, and the problem that I create for you tactically. Do you play me? (laughs) and Josh Sargent, and Weston McKinney, and Pulisic in a front four? Or do you think he should play me alongside Chirundolo, Demarcus Beasley, and Balbera at the back, David? What do you think? Because I'm ready. Oh, that's good.
1: I mean, I've played a bit of football with you and rather like James Corden, who said to us the other day that he's better than he looks like he's going to be. You are better than you look like you're going to be. Your short leg, long body frame, I think, makes it quite difficult to be an elite footballer. But you, you do quite well with what you have. Paul Beckerman, I like the
0: taste of my own blood in my mouth, Dave. Who are you raising your
1: Jägermeister I think in someone, Los Angeles? I think this, oh no, I've, still got to, I've still got to roast you a little bit. As someone who loves America as much as you do, Rog, you really don't want to put yourself anywhere near that U.S. men's national. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. I'm raising my Jägermeister, Rog, to my great friend, a guy whose show I produce, Andy Cohen, turned 50 uh, this week. I rushed back to New York, went to his 50th birthday party. What a lovely, generous man. Had us on his show to promote the book, put us behind the bar, tweeted about it, put stuff out on Instagram. He's been such a great friend to me, such a great friend and supporter to both of us in Mm -hmm. everything that we've done. So Andy Cohen he's my master of the day happy birthday 50 years old okay there are many ways to connect to us including our now extinct amazon emporium which has transformed into the men in blazers board mart anytime you buy something big or small from the board mart we get a tiny percentage that allows us to produce additional albeit sub-optimal content what are you putting in the board mart this week roger oh, a
0: book red card by ken bensinger who is a buzzfeed investigative reporter true football fan that i met at our la live show last week uh, and this book is the definitive account of US investigators taking down Set Blatter and FIFA. If you want to understand how US soccer existed in the shadows, this is the definitive telling of Chuck Blazer's story. It's worth reading for that human darkness alone. Jack Warner's Corrosive Rise, that's in here. And of course, that human vulgarity, Set Blatter. This book makes you realise that our love of the game, Devo, that binds us, also blinds us to the darkness that exists around the business of football. And just like we try not to think of the dust mites and the bacteria that plague every single hotel room that we check into, (laughs) we do the same with football. It is a masterful volume for anyone who wants to know about FIFA, CONCACAF, or human darkness in equal measure.
1: Okay, my entry, the brand new Men in Blazers national team kit. Oh, Dave! With the GFOPs at Adidas. It is dropping this Friday just in time for Rogue State 2018. The new jersey was designed especially (laughs) for cutting work during the 32 days of Russia 18 and celebrating every game, every goal, and Luis Suarez bite. It is also designed with an eye on next year's U.S. Women's National Team glory run. The shirt's design inspiration is the Peruvian 1978 World Cup jersey jersey. with its simple yet startling crisp diagonal band. To finish off the design, Nicole Kelly conquered all comers in our jock tag design competition. Her delicate crap cat creation is a fixed bottom left. The jersey is an extreme limited edition. There are only five hundred of these beauties. They're going on sale with the Men in Blazers newsletter this Friday. Subscribe to the newsletter at Meninblazers.com. We anticipate these beauties going quickly, so the newsletter may be your only chance to get them. Reserve one for me, JW.
0: I'm gonna Buy one just so I can wear it to watch the US women march to
1: glory in 2019, David. You can follow us on Twitter at Men and Blazers at Embassy Davies at Rog Bennett, on Instagram at Men and Blazers at Embassy underscore Davies, (sighs) on Facebook at Men and Blazers. You can always send your Ravens to the crap part or so, or you can always email us at Men and Blazers at gmail.com.
0: Can I just say one thing? Hello, Cincinnati. Hello, Queen City. Welcome. Welcome to MLS. Get cracking. Eight months till your first season kicks off. Wow. We could not be more thrilled and marvel at what you've built and your future together. Wow, Queen hey. City.
1: Venderpunct. War pig. Who wants to sex matombo? I like snacks. Boards win. Boards win. Take that, Gloria. Boards lose. To tweed. Abrogado,
0: rock on mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Oh, I can't wait to see Ronaldo's Pert Nipples. Oh, glory.